Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager and Manager of the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program from BASF and host of today's program. Um, I'm also joined today by industry consultant and good friend Bob Anishak. So, Bob, how are things going for you today? Jennifer, I'm freezing and I'm in Louisiana. Go figure. I don't know how <laughs> yeah. that happened. I mean, uh, this is weird. <laughs> this yeah, is really strange. No, it's cold I think out. you just have like that cold weather front that just follows you, Bob. I, I think so. I think it must be, Jennifer. It, it, be. it is. Like, I, um, but I think, you know, you and I were talking earlier, and I know our listeners know because they, for the past almost two years now, have kind of followed me in my journey in different places. And um, we've recorded the podcast where I've been all over the country and um, different islands everywhere. And, um, this year we're still kind of staying in North Carolina, so we're not taking our sailboat down south. But I tell you, it um I am missing the vitamin D and warm weather because it has turned cold in North Carolina and I do not like it. So I don't know if you made a visit over here or not, Bob, that I didn't know that you brought some of this weather here. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's right. I uh, uh <laughs> I must have I must have snuck over there and it you snuck in. <laughs> yeah. So uh I don't yes. know. Well, today I'm really excited and happy to introduce um, today's guest, Lorraine Pepper. Um, she's a leading cotton sustainability advocate and farmer, as well as CEO and co-founder of the influential industry organization, Textile Exchange. So, Lorraine, how are you? And thanks so much for being here today. It is a pleasure to be here. And I just get tickled at you guys in the <laughs> South, griping about cold, you know. So you know I'm cold. In Wyoming, you know cold. So I was going to say, Lorraine, it's probably what? What the weather? What's the degrees there where you're at? We have, we have fresh snow and sunshine. We actually are in a lovely place. And, and uh, Bob, I would just let you know that the key to, you know, successfully surviving cold is the right boots, the right socks, you know. Exactly. So bundle up. Just bundle up. Thank you. That doesn't work. Lots apart. of layers. Lots of layers. Yeah, <laughs> I promise you, the one things that have been my friends are those, like, the heated, the hand warmers and the feet warmers. Like, <laughs> those yeah. things, I, I have definitely, every time I go, like, to the local walmart or something i'm like where are those at i keep buying them like a whole box them at a time because i am not used to this cold weather <laughs> um well Ray, i know you've had such a great um an amazing background with and a very diverse background um as a grower as a founder of the textile exchange um which as many know will be one of the most um influential raw material organizations in the industry you're also a well-known advocate of sustainable farming production and um, we'll get into a little bit um, about some of the other um, trends and things that are happening and going on with the textile exchange. But before we get into that, I would love to see if you would talk a little bit about your background to our listeners and maybe why you formed Textile Exchange so that um, our listeners can learn a little bit more about you and the passion surrounding that. Absolutely. Well, I grew up on a cotton farm out in West Texas, Borden County, specifically about 60 miles south of Lubbock. And so that's just a part of my DNA and, and the love for the land, the respect for the people that live on the land. 
And so it was really interesting to, um, I was the oldest granddaughter and was very close to my grandparents. And there was an expectation, you know, that these, these oldest kids, oldest grandkids come back to the farm. So that's kind of what the game plan was. I went to college at Abilene Christian University. I started out my degree, quite frankly, in fashion design and textiles, thinking that this would get me away from the farm, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 wow. no, no. Down the whole farmer bit. And, and so we actually moved out to the farm in 79 when we graduated college. And and um, granddaddy picked us up in Abilene in a cotton trailer and moved us <laughs> That's so funny, Lorraine. I actually got moved in a horse trailer, so I appreciate that. Yes, I fully yes. understand that feeling right yeah. there. So that's that's. So we started farming right at the beginning of of the farm crisis of the eighties, um, and so there was a time before when the farm, you know, supported the farm and the family and the community, and you built cooperatives and you know invested in community and then kind of that farm crisis of the 80s hit so it was really like okay let's take a look of like how do we diversify you know a lot of us i got my teaching certificate so i went to town and taught school and i think uh you know was a was a county agent for a period of time so you you do what you can to kind of support the family because at that point in time the farm was just really supporting the farm so we were really looking like in the 80s of like how do we make it work and what does it look like in this changing landscape where all the inputs went up significantly you know the oil the diesel the seed the whole bit it's like is farming really viable and that still remains an economic challenge which we can talk about. But ultimately, what we ended up doing was we were already so close philosophically and in practice to be organic farmers in that region. It's we get a hard freeze in the wintertime in order to defoliate the cotton. So we were already in a very low input type uh, production system with crop rotations that were already a part of soil fertility. And so it was interesting to be a part of the organic enabling legislation. So when 1990 came, uh, again, we were we were kind of first in line to be uh, certified organic and we started the Texas Organic Cotton Marketing Cooperative in 92, 93 and started really being advocates for farmers entering the marketplace and differentiating their product for, by by that way. So really helped. I mean, we had to, a steep learning curve on from just being farmers to really being engaged in the marketplace and telling the story and tying um, tying product into uh, values and things like that. So uh, that's kind of the context then of where the textile exchange began. Our roots are in organic cotton. We were the organic exchange first. And it was about um, farmers working with brands and manufacturers to say, we need to identify barriers to growth. We need to work together. It's not just collective action, everybody doing their own thing on an island of good, but really turning in that to connected strategies of what do we need to do in order to facilitate the growth in the marketplace. And so it was like, harmonization of standards. It was clear market signals and market information and address, you know, having that connected strategy. And then in 2010, it evolved from the organic exchange to the textile exchange because the things that we were learning was that but of course, brands have used more than one fiber. So the things that we were learning about strategy, rejection of impacts, um, sustainable solutions, taking care of people, planet, and you know, make the choices that you make on fibers impact people's lives right mm -hmm. all the way down to the farm gate. So it's like, how do we mm -hmm. have more positive influences there? And so those same things that we were doing in organic cotton had now we work across, you know, all the you know, portfolio of materials. And, and really have 
taken that into a direction of travel of while we believe that regenerative responsible practices are the direction of travel in order to have move away from negative impacts into positive impacts it truly is more of an approach and a philosophy of a journey toward um more responsible more sustainable you know more organic and regenerative practices but it's more of a journey rather than this one destination point that we do have this direction travel so that the philosophy in the dna is you know we want to you know we are a for a nonprofit mission based organization it is about changing people planet lives for the better through the making you know making choices around what we call preferred fibers fibers that have positive impacts on for planet and people and then working primarily with industry to get that on their radar radar screen and to take action so that's kind of the nuts and bolts of why we started and kind of the dna and the philosophy behind it right thanks so much for that uh, i have to say we've known each other number of years and i've always been amazed by your passion uh creativity uh you're you're really driven on on uh helping to make the the farm environment and the now the industrial supply chain that much more uh sustainable and it's really quite uh, admirable what you uh well, what you do definitely so, fire in my heart no doubt about it yeah and, uh, that's apparent uh, let's talk about health, though, of the sustainability movement, per mm -hmm. se. You know, there seems to be a groundswell of support for sustainable programs, all kinds, right? And, but uh, how much of that is marketing, do you think, as opposed to real action? Well, it's a little of both, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> So you're going to have uh, you've got a core group and that core group is growing, we can, uh, it, which is exciting to see people really taking seriously um, the choices that they make when it, in, in our focus, we're really focusing on the raw materials and fiber. It's your choices make a difference. They make a difference to the land. They make a difference to biodiversity and people. So there is a strong core group of brands and industries, you know, the manufacturers of farmers that have really been working together. Textile Exchange is actually celebrating 20 years. 20th anniversary wow. this year isn't that oh that's uh, congratulations yeah. wow so our group is very strong they've been with us from the beginning um and it is so that core group is growing stronger and they're moving out of you know what i would call core you know key programs or core programs or um you know they're they've got all their baby wares and preferred or yoga wear or home and hospitalities there to really looking at more holistic. <laughs> so we do have a strong core group. It's like we are going to have by 2030, 100% of our fiber will be sourced from more sustainable solutions. So we have a strong core group and that core group is working and they have fiber strategies and they're working it out and, and they've, they've figured out the formulas. They're figuring out the business models. So that core group is strong and that core group is growing. And so that's expanding. We have had actually Textile Exchange has over 700 members now. We've doubled in about 18 months. And a lot of that is brands and retailers. Of course, they're bringing some of their supply chain partners in. But the brands and retailers as an organic cotton farmer or any kind of cotton farmer, quite frankly, I can't, I can't invest in more sustainable solutions on a maybe 
it has to be done with clear market linkages and the ability to get a return on my investment. If I'm going to spend an extra 20 to $30 per acre on cover crops to build my soil, I, I have to have a return on my investment. And so it really is about working right now while we work with the entire supply network that, you know, to push that button, it really is right now we're focusing on brands and retailers to have a strategy and act on that strategy. So yes, there have been people that are kind of play, dabbling at it. They may have a token program here or there. Check, we've got this. Check, we've got that. But that is not a corporate strategy. And so we're really trying to make sure that those that are dabbling also get on the train and, you know, make a, have a corporate fiber strategy and move along the continuum. We're kind of, uh, we're also an activist nonprofit. We're not only here for educational purposes. So we do what we call name and fame rather than kind of rank and spank. It's about, okay, here's brands that are doing it well. They've got it figured out. Here's farmers that are doing well. They've got it figured out. We have the 2025 Sustainable Cotton Challenge talking about um, a lot of the cotton initiatives around the world that are making positive impacts. So, yeah, there's going to, Robert, there's always going to be people that are dabbling and playing the game. Uh, but we hope to, you know, separate the chaff a little bit and say, okay, these people are being serious. They're making it work. We're measuring progress. We're telling pos positive stories. And those that aren't, well, they, you know, they're, they need to get on the train. And so that's a part of my responsibility too, is like, okay, where's, where's the cattle prod? I'm from West Texas, you know, so <laughs> I that out, like, it's time to get on the train. <laughs> Good way yeah. of putting it. Good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. In addition, um, there's some other things that are going on, which is really hopeful. It's not just about that core group, but there's other pressures that are being extended, uh, particularly by the United Nations. There, there's the United Nations Climate Charter that, that industry and brands are having to sign. There's the Fashion Pact that's coming along and really supporting biodiversity and water and um, climates and, and the water. And then of course, we've got our own Climate Plus strategy, which is very aggressive. It's a reduction by 45% of greenhouse gases. And so this kind of getting on the train is like, it's time to stop talking about it and it's time to, to take action. So again, I've, we've got over, over 700 members now, and now we have seven, six standards and growing on seven that are on 40,000 sites in over 90 countries. And so- wow. It is really, there's the pressure to like really make it different. And, and then regulation is also coming. There's a lot of stuff happening. New York has just kind of surprised everybody with this fashion act of, you know, by a certain time, you've got to be able to trace your supply chains. Washington has got a copycat bill. And of course, in the, uh, in the European Union, there's a number of regulations with digital passports, mm -hmm. you know, required labeling the product environmental but print, so there's regulation is coming. And so there's, that's another reason why I think we're growing in membership and we've got more, you know, more brands going into that core group of, they've made public commitments, very public commitments around science-based targets and the fashion pact and the climate charter and to our climate plus strategy. And so, um, yeah, they're going to have to, they're going to have to make it happen. And they call us, I'm like, okay, we signed this commitment. How do we get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, you know, and you bring up an interesting point, Lorraine, and one thing that um, for me and most of the listeners know, I've talked, I talk about a lot. I've spent my entire um, career, 20 years in the production space, working with farmers and working with growers on different um, their production practices and not just in cotton, but other crops as well. And the past um, two years is where I've really started working kind of upstream with some brands and 
to in, in textile mills and others and really learning um, a lot. My eyes have been opened. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been interesting. And I know with your background um, in cotton and, you know, both um, organic, non-organic, GMO, non-GMO. Um, but one of the things I found is that it's really interesting, the lack of understanding of brands about cotton. Um, and, you know, I don't know if this is because so long it's everybody's kind of worked in their silo of learning and doing. Um, but do you think that because of that, whether it's, um, you know, the organic, something being labeled organic or, you know, GMO versus that, do you think all this organic or sustainable, do you think it can confuse brands or do you think that, um, they, really um, are educated and understand? Or what do you think kind of goes on downstream with some of this labeling on things? Well, I would say all of the above. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, there's still a lot of confusion about what yeah. is mean and what is going on. And of course, some of this goes down even to deeper philosophical issues. Um, and so there's controversy around organic and regenerative and use of words and terms, as well as there is still around GMO. So um, I think there's lack of lack of clarity. Um, I, I'm glad, though, that we're kind of shifting out of some of that philosophical conversations because people, if they're pro-GMO, they're going to stay pro-GMO. If they're pro-organic, they're going to stay pro-organic. And so I don't think we're going to change anybody's minds uh, about that. And that's OK, because I think we've got bigger issues that we can tackle together. And that truly is kind of the work we're shifting into and shifted into a few years ago about finding common ground is like, OK, we all have to address climate. So how are we going to do that together? And um, so we're really take, changing the conversation of organic versus GMO, for example, that we've had in the past into a conversation around let's drive impacts. Let's drive impacts around reduction of greenhouse gases. Let's drive impacts around water. Let's drive you know, impacts around increased biodiversity. And what does that look like? So I think the exciting shift here is that farmers are always going to use a number of different production systems, depending upon their geography, depending upon pest pressures. There's, there's so many variables that go on. So if we can kind of get into, let's talk about soils. You know, what does it look like to say, we're going to invest in soils. We're going to, you know, improve I think there's so much that we can do in, in, in terms of reducing climate risk when it comes to regenerative practices across the board of let's invest in our soils and eliminate synthetic fertilizers, which can have a positive impact like on the Gulf and where you like to be on your boat, uh, Jennifer, of no more dead zones, thriving fish. Yeah. Know that that let's come in here and tackle the things that are the most harmful and drive those positive impacts and change the conversation to let's change into best practices. I think there's a lot of things that could happen around, um, you know, soils. We know that we're taking action on that together already with the work that we're doing in the 2025 Sustainable Cotton Challenge. But I think the next place is going to be biodiversity. What does it look like to use more insecticides and trap crops? What does it look like to have more biologically intensive of solutions. Um, you know, what does it look like? Uh, because there are pest pressures, there are, you know, um, super bugs and weed resistance, there's challenges 
in um, some of the the production systems. So it's like, okay, let's think outside the box a little bit. Let's let's look at what are some of the you know cultural practices, precision plowing. Um, some of the some of the places are going to be perfect uh, places to do. For example, no-till, but there's going to be areas where weeds get out of control and you've got weed resistance that, you know, and you may have to put in some precision plowing and things like that in order to have that balanced solution. So I think we're going to need some of those great minds and the scientific minds to really look at how we move things along. But uh, uh, moving into where we're talking to brands more about impacts and delivering to science-based targets, delivering uh, to increased uh, health, soil health and, and biodiversity is, is a good direction of travel in order to take brands and retailers out of you know, data analysis, paralysis kind of thing into taking action. We know enough to have a direction of travel, take action. Ray, how do you deal with uh, greenwashing as an organization? <laughs> Yeah, simple, simple question. Yep. <laughs> but well, uh, we actually are. We have a suite of standards. Like I said, we also have chain of custody that can work with other standards. Like we're working with the cashmere folks and different people. But for us, it is about if you're going to make a market claim, you need to be able to back it up. So we're working with groups like the Federal Trade Commission, German Textile Alliance, the equivalent of the Federal Trade Commission in Japan. So it and and the European Union. We're working a lot on what does it look like to make sure that brands have the mechanism to support a viable product claim. So if they're going to make a claim that this is this is Parasox made from responsible wool, they have the paperwork to doc, you know, to back it up and that chain of custody. So greenwashing, we're more, you know, if it's, you know, we get calls by different government organizations and say, is this real? And we'll say they're not on our list or they are on our list. Ooh. So we are actually working on um, you know, and, mar and monitoring the marketplace, you know, we're all shoppers. If I run across something that's making a claim, it's like, hmm. And uh, <laughs> it might gotcha. get turned. Yeah. So we're, we're monitoring it. We're talking about it, but most of all, <laughs> we're offering positive proactive tools that help brands make verifiable, um, you know, strong market claims. So if you're going to, if you're going to make a market claim like organic or responsible wool or whatever the case may be, or responsible down, you have the ability to back that up. Yeah. And I think, you know, Lorraine, um, you know, you bring up an interesting question and I'd love to know, um, you know, I know we're about out of time, but I do have a one question I'd love to know. And that is that's, you know, you, the false labeling or claims on labels um, is one of the challenges I would say that face facing the industry today. And um, I know there's others, but what do you see as some of those other challenges that are facing it? And how do you, you know, your organization textile exchange, how are you guys um, working or, you know, making a difference and being that positive force for change in the industry? Well, I would say we're doing a lot, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But, um, you know, it's really interesting to boil it down to like what because it goes back to the DNA when we were first organized of like, what are the barriers to growth? Identify those and then take this collective connected action. So it is about education. It is about having, for example, that consistent labeling and the mechanism and the, the, the infrastructure to back that up through various traceability systems. I, I would say a couple of the other biggest growths and they're interrelated is 
clear market messages. Again, farmers cannot grow more responsible or sustainable products on a maybe. We're asking the farmers to make that investment. And so many of the brands, the number one reason that they said they're, you know, they would go 100% more preferred fibers in a heartbeat, but they want it at price parity. Well, price parity is what's brought us <laughs> the oh pollution <laughs> and the poverty and the problems. Yes. And so it's like, yeah. it's the Albert Einstein thing to keep doing the same thing over and over again and think you're going to change is the definition of an insanity. So I would say the other big body of work that we're doing is education for the industry of not only do you need preferred fibers and here's how you connect to them, but you need to be able to pay more. And so that's looking at a brand's business model. It's about clear, sending clear market messages and also about talking to consumers because there's a growing core group of consumers that really care. And it's about shifting the conversation from a price paradigm to a value paradigm. So when I'm pulling up this pair of socks, by the way, I'm talking about socks a lot because I'm doing a TED talk in a couple of weeks on change your socks and change the world, which I'm yeah, still working on the speech, but it is so interesting, the dynamics of talking to consumers about the value and intrinsic value that's there. And, in, you know, the value of that pair of socks that um, respects the land, you know, respects the water. And it, so it is about uh, the strong educational component. I think we're going to have to shift some gears and have some more consumer based education that starts talking and conveying value, which goes back to consumer labeling to make sure the label, you know, you put a logo that this is certified to this or certified to that, or it's meeting this biodiversity goal, then that starts triggering value in the consumers and they're willing. And there's a certain percentage of consumers that are willing to pay more, a certain percentage more for products that are more sustainable. So how do we tap into that? How do we make sure we're communicating clearly on the value paradigm rather than I'm just going to go to the lowest cost. I'm just going to buy the cheapest thing. And I don't care that it's not durable. I don't care that it creates more social issues or labor issues and doesn't respect the land. And so uh, we've got education is going to be the key. And um, well, but, but right now you don't uh, talk to uh, consumers directly, right? No, we we don't do any direct consumer engagement. Our consumer engagement is to make sure that our members, our brands and retailers have clear information that is backed up by research and good information. So the brands have been the ones talking to their consumers um, through the labels on the products. Uh, I think we're actually going to be starting to enter in some, I would say, indirect consumer education through um, through like working with universities, working through those kinds of places and spaces, and certainly helping our brands talk more effectively to consumers. Um, so I think it, it is uh, what is our role in consumer education is something we're struggling with because doing a direct consumer campaign, just like Got Milk or The Incredible Edible Egg, those are very, very expensive um, uh, situations to be into. Um, and, and so I think we want to leverage the existing players in that space to start conveying you know, messages around uh, the value paradigm and the intrinsic value, I think, as we get into more of the climate conversations is saying this product helps deliver. Um, so, yeah, I think those are things we're we're really struggling with of how do we help support the shift that needs to happen. But there's a lot of work that we need to do with the brand and retailers and the, you know, the supply network all the way back to the farm gate to make sure we're filling that pipeline and scaling solutions. We have proven solutions. We need to scale them 
get them out there into the marketplace. But the price paradigm is, is uh, I would say, one of the number one barriers. We know we can grow it, but it's got to, you know, we can grow it once there's access to resources, access to education, uh, and a fair price for the product. Well, awesome. Well, Lorraine, I appreciate it so much and appreciate you joining us today and going through all the work, which I feel like some of it was just the tip of the iceberg of everything that um, Textile Exchange is doing and everything you guys are doing. Um, but if any of our listeners um, should want to find out more information about Textile Exchange or to reach out you know, to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, we got a great website, of course, I think. <laughs> so that would yeah. just be textileexchange.org. And if you want to track me down, that would be Lorraine at textileexchange.org. Well, wonderful. Well, again, thanks for um, being on. And I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us and hope that you enjoyed our show. Should you have any questions about the E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. Also, don't forget to visit and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at E3 Sustainable Cotton. Thanks so much and see you next time.